0: But this episode will be inspired uh, by a book named Hegel and the Hermetic Tradition by author Glenn McGee. Now, this will, of course, not be the review of the book. It will not be based on the thesis thesis, uh, that book puts forward, namely that Hegel was uh, in line with the tradition of so-called hermeticism or hermetic tradition, but it is only inspired by it, by certain ideas that I will put forward uh, to take this as a launching point uh, for talking about Hegel and the spirit of modernity, our perennial bugbear here on Kali Tribune. Uh, So, in order to give a kind of introduction into a subject which will be quite naughty, (laughs) naughty with a K, not naughty, uh, because everything uh, concerning Hegel uh, tends to go uh, the complicated way at some point, uh, and I think with a good reason, and Hegel is not to blame for this, Uh, And on the other hand, we'll talk about Hegel's relation to modernity. Hegel as premier modern metaphysician. Now, in order to do that, I will give some of the starting propositions. And uh, some of them will be what I accept from the author of this book I just mentioned. Now, uh, the thesis... That Hegel's philosophy, so called, or rather to be more precise and in line with Hegel's own utterances, uh, Hegel's uh, speculation or Hegel's system of absolute knowledge uh, is based upon the idea that human and divine consciousness and I use consciousness here advisedly, because he is using this term, are uh, identical in the final instance. Uh, in other words, uh, that God needs man, or that God as unlimited uh, thinking, or an, uh, unlimited mind, needs a human mind to exist. God uh, does not reveal himself in Hegel's eyes, because he wants to reveal himself but primarily because he needs to reveal himself. He needs to in- embody himself, incorporate himself. This idea Glenn McGee uh, holds to be a hermetic idea. Uh, he puts forward some very good arguments, he traces some of the Hegel's ideas to Either to directly to some thinkers like Jakob Böhme not strictly speaking Hermeticist, but kind of uh, Baroque Gnostic. And uh, this is the strongest historical argument uh, McGee has, by the way, because Beme was supreme influence on Hegel and Hegel is explicit about it. Problem with Hegel is that he is not really explicit about his main influences, I believe, uh, together with Eric Wogelin, who also wrote, I think, in a superior manner to McGee. Uh, about Hegel and called him agnostic, no, not strictly hermeticist. Uh, but uh, Boehme is one of the uh, influences that are uh, really, really obvious in Hegel, as Hegel is talking about it, and calls him Philosophus Theutonicus, the fa- and in fact the father of German philosophy, he consider him like that. It's quite uh, interesting because if you are a connoisseur of history of philosophy, you'll know that Hegel uh, goes under the moniker Absolute Rationalist. Now, uh, if you know anything about Jakob Böme, Jakob Böme is uh, prima donna of esotericists or occultists. His thinking is not rational thinking in the sense of enlightenment, for sure. It is more like uh, description of visions, thinking in symbols, and so on and so forth. Nevertheless, Hegel thought that Bume had had a right form of what will become speculative system of absolute knowledge in his own time. Right form, but not the oh, right content, but maybe not the right form. He still struggled because he was historically earlier than Hegel. Never mind. So this is Magie's thesis. And this thesis, can, uh, I accept it because it can be proven uh, from Hegel himself, because Hegel is quite explicit about this. Uh, spirit is spirit, insofar it is a revealed spirit. That's well to paraphrase phenomenology, the geist of Hegel. So this is what I ex- accept. I will not call it hermeticism. I will leave to you the pleasure of reading maggie's book. That is, I think, uh, free online in PDF format, so you can print it out. It's not a big book; it's not that well resourced, I'm, <laughs> I'm afraid, uh, but uh, but it's 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 very good. It's very good incentive on thinking about Hegel. Only, please don't, I I beg, uh, uh, fledgling interpreters, uh, not to fall in the trap of taking it as a final word on Hegel because conspiracy theorists, I I saw some conspiracy theorists latch on it who never read Hegel himself uh, to prove that Hegel is part of some Kabbalistic Masonic conspiracy. You won't uh, find proof for that. Hegel uh, was never proven to be, for instance, a Freemason. He hung out with Freemasons, which was normal at the time, but used even their symbolism but he was not one. He was he was a very conservative, uh, very upright uh, citizen of Berlin. In the end of his his later later years, and uh, he was not not an occultist or something like that. But <coughs> uh, there are very strong aspects of this in him. And that's what we'll talk about. Now, first, uh, to finish this introduction with a critique of something that McGee said, that uh, we will use as a differentiation point of what Hegel does and what traditional metaphysics does. Because the assumption behind this podcast is that Hegel is a modern metaphysician. This assumption is, I call it assumption for... (laughs) Uh, form, sake of the, of the proper form, but it is true, it is not something you have to prove, because Hegel is metaphysician, but his understanding of metaphysics is inversion, in a way, of traditional notion of metaphysics. What is peculiar and what is uh, really uh, interesting and important in Hegel, what makes him... Uh, Unavoidable uh, benchmark of modernity is that he indeed was metaphysician. Now, somebody, some guy like Herbert Spencer after Hegel in, in England or something like that is not a metaphysician. He is a modernist in the sense that he is the proponent of evolution of. Uh, moving from primitive towards less primitive, blah, 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 blah. Uh, But those people, as well as in our day and age, uh, the dominant ideological strains are technocratic and uh, are uh, uh, mostly latching to technological advancement as a sign of modernity and maybe in post-humanism they really go even towards the idea of technology completely amending human, transcending human. The uh, problem with these currents, as frightening as they can be, as dominant as they are, because they are dominant. As Eric Wogelin once said, we are living in the in the age ruled by Gnostic heresies. And it really has a weight when somebody like Wogelin says this because he was not an outsider. He was a uh, Naturalized American citizen that that had a career in philosophy. He's not that famous, uh, not fa- as famous as he should have been. Uh, be, but it it really rings true, and, and it was said beco- before the time of political correctness and such things. When this is really becoming explicit, but uh, Hegel is peculiar in the sense that he's really profound. His m- uh, metaphysics of modernity is profound and its destructive, uh, destructive core, its destructive potential works from the inside out, not from the outside in, as uh, somebody like posthumanist would do. And this is more dangerous, this is uh, more sinister, if you please, uh, this is more seductive, because I, you can maybe already tell, uh, if you follow Kali Tribune with my critical remarks on Hegel, that there is a very strong mixture of uh, affection and antipathy when I talk about him. And most philosophers, uh, that people who are really devoted to philosophy, uh, who don't consider philosophy just a language game or some crap like that, are always ambivalent uh, towards him, uh, because there is a profound talent in, for philosophy in him. There's a, there are profound insights, but with very, very sinister turn. Uh, maybe until the end of this podcast we'll give some explanation why, as to why this discrepancy. Now, what Maggie says about Hegel's influences uh, putting aside Jakob Beme, uh, the most important influence, or Württemberg Pietism, Württemberg was uh, Hegel's birthplace and this Pietist uh, variety of Protestantism but he considers to be a good transmitter for Bohemian and Hermetic and Gnostic ideas. You won't go into that, but there are some medieval sources uh, or Early, early Renaissance sources, he uh, Magi puts forward. One of them being Meister Eckhart, of of which I will hold judgment. His influence on Hegel. Uh, the other being Nicolas of Cusa, and here Magee gets it wrong, because uh, he takes Nicholas of Cusa's book De Vizion a day, about which I had something to say already a few years ago, you can find it among the widows. it's a kind of lecture, it's not an article, uh, where Magee claims that, if I understand him correctly, uh, Cusa advocated for this idea that uh, since the vision is both subjectivus, objectivus uh, and uh, genitive, objectivus and genitive, subjectivus, that is to say, that vision of God, this title of the title book means uh, God, God's vision and man's vision of God, that there is this hermetic idea of 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 uh, kind of dialectics between finite and infinite being and where one needs another. There is no such thing in uh, Nicholas of Cousas. I won't go into explaining what the a day is. I'll only refer that I've already talked about it and I recommend that you look into it because the, this small book is, uh, is a really very interesting uh, treatise of, um, that is to say, even exercise in mystical theology as uh, Nicolas calls, calls it. Uh, there is no double double bind. So, For Nicholas of Cusa, our seeing of God, uh, by seeing is his symbol for knowledge, is God's seeing uh, of us. Uh, Not the other way around. Infinite gaze of God is something we can participate in, we cannot identify with it. So, uh, to know God in his essence, uh, I would dare to say, would be... Uh, rather being known by God where God gives you gives you uplifts you and gives you a portion uh, a participatory act of his own in his own act but he you are absolutely dependent on him not the other way around as if God would exist truly only if we he would have a mirror Uh, as a as a as a Human intellect or human soul. This is not the case, Nicholas of Cusa's. And uh, if ma- if I understood Maggie rightly, this is what he claims he's wrong. Uh, there is no, I think, not a single quotation of Nicholas of Cusa in Hegel. But never mind that. There are almost almost no quotations of uh, Meister Eckhart. But uh, this doesn't mean that those ideas are not present. Eckhart is Eckhart is surely present, and in great philosophers uh mostly the the most important things are unspoken directly uh, expressed in the form of their philosophy and this is the case with Hegel too but this idea this is what I wanted to say an interpretation of Nicolas of Cousas is wrong and this is very important for us subjects because this is the alienation between traditional metaphysics let's rather say theology than metaphysics and modern metaphysics or modern theology because for Hegel Uh, Sophia, of his system, his speculative thought, is theology. That is to say, philosophy and theology are identical. He's very explicit about it. And this is not the case in tradition. This is something very different. So, when we we have done with that, uh, let's see what are Hegel's main tenets. Now, Hegel... Uh, believes that he lives in a time where philosophy can uh, leave phileying behind. That is to say, it has to cease to be love towards wisdom. That is to say, uh, craving intentional uh, pursuit of truth uh, and being, and instead become possession thereof. It has to become Sophia. This is from his introduction of Phenomenology des Geistes, one of his early and more difficult works, where most of the real profoundities of his philosophy are to be found, but be warned, trying to read it is not for the faint of heart. It's a very, very, difficult, very difficult book. This means that Hegel is, strictly speaking, agnostic, no, not agnostic, but gnostic, the gnostic. Uh, that is to say, he's craving true knowledge. He is not craving a merciful participation in God's gaze, as Nicolas of Cusa would propose. He is seeking identity with it. And I think this is something that is incontestable when we talk about Hegel. Uh, now Glenn McGee believes that this is uh, ha- there is a hermetic uh, hermetic idea behind this mm, and it goes on a long tangents about Jakob Beme. Now we'll say something about Beme uh, just to give you an illustration what this means. Beme in his 17th century, he lived in the 17th century in Gerlitz, that is I think now in Poland, or that was on Polish-German border, a little small city it was Look him up. I'll give. I'll try to provide some links. There is one very good lecture on Bebe by Walter Hanegraaff of Amsterdam. So I'll give a link for those who are interested. Uh, Bebe was a kind of Gnostic uh, that was giving not theodicy, uh, the, the kind of justification of God, but rather a cosmodicy, a justification of the world. What this means? Well, if you want... To to prove God's existence and explore God's ex- essence, which is really a travesty of modern metaphysics, that they really try to do this, from maybe from like Leibniz and such. In somebody like Böhm, uh, there is an attempt uh, to justify God, uh, God's existence, in accordance to the criteria of the. World And this criteria is mostly the existence of evil, how to account for existence of evil. I think this is what I speculate was Berman's motive, uh, because he couldn't find this answer. He was a Protestant, he was uh, uh, called to stand alone before the God face to face. And well, interesting things happened. Uh Berman's idea is that uh evil has a uh, reason or uh, reason to exist, but in the sense that it is, is the constituent part or constituent phase in the ontological, theological, theogonic, theogonical process of the birth of God. Therefore, therefore uh, Berme is talking. Behme talks about God, about essential core as a core of his philosophy. He is talking of God as he comes to pass in eternity. Now this is something I, I cannot stress this hard enough. People think that there is some ancient that people like Berme are going into some ancient source of knowledge. This is very modern. This is not something that. I think any of the church fathers did, maybe less balanced if I may say so, like Clement of Alexandria, and some of these really Oregon, these early Alexandrian theologian would, theologians would maybe get some ideas in this sense, but it was mostly alien to the mind of antiquity and middle ages uh, concerning monotheist uh, religion. Uh, I'm not talking about theogonies of, of Hesiod or, or Olympian gods but strictly when it comes to Christianity and Hebrew tradition that is uh, incorporated in it, this is something you don't do. Of course there is a Kabbalah of which magi also speaks and that probably influenced Beme and Hegel we won't go into that but this is still not proven to be uh, to be ancient tradition same like hermeticism i'm not an expert but i know this uh, mostly consensus now is that uh, corpus hermeticum is a late antiquity uh, corpus it is not uh, something that comes from the time out of mind it's a rather late comma on the historical scene uh, but uh, what i want to uh, extract here from Bema as one of those premier influences on hegel magval wants to point out is this uh, crucial place uh, reserved for evil and the idea that you can uh, that you can justify evil in a sense uh, from the act of god moreover from the very act of birth of god and this is something that I think Magui is right when he says that Hegel does the same thing as Behme. He just does it in a in a different manner. Now Hegel's uh, Hegel's idea was of his historical place was that he is in the unique situation at the birth of modernity, at the aftermath of Protestant Reformation and French Revolution, which are two premier events that make things possible for him, he is very explicit about it, where tradition uh, finally comes to fruition. (laughs) Uh, To wit, Hegel believed uh, that modernity is the explication and realization of all ages. And this, uh, my friends, is the epitome of modern delusion. Hegel goes further from all. no. Kurzweil, post-humanist, or Max Moore can match him with this because they are superficial, know-nothings intellectually. Hegel is a profound German, profound German philosopher, man brought in the profoundly uh, subtle culture with extremely, uh, extreme breadth of knowledge. And as such, his deadly dangers. Uh, Hegel's system uh, was called uh, by Prussian uh, Prussian court at the time when they realized the consequences in a revolutionary movement that were inspired by Hegel. It was called Dragon Seed. Dragon Seed from the myth of Argonauts and of Medea's father who sowed the, the teeth of the dragon in, in the in the mounds in the furrows and then they uh, there grow up from the from from Earth grow up uh, the the some kind of bronze warriors that he had to kill and he did that as a, if I recall correctly each day and so on and so forth and so that, then so a dragon seed you. You sow the see, uh, the the teeth of dragon, and then you get the army that goes to destroy you. Dragon seed, to be more precise, dragon seed of Hegel's panlogism. That's 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 the the full phrase, and, and they called his former friend Schelling to counter his influence and so on and so forth. But that's a story in itself. Now I just want to stress how important he is because there is no communism without Hegel I mean Marxism is an inversion of Hegelian philosophy and it is uh, it will be very unjust towards Hegel as I see on internet some of these internet, uh, internet based obviously internet educated American commentators do to, to a quote this Hegelian or Hegel's uh, philosophy with Marxism as a kind of uh, necessary development of from Hegel, it's not really like that, it's a different spirit, completely. But Hegel uh, bears a huge responsibility for some ills of the 20th century, I would say he does, but we have to be precise about that. Now, why this insistence of evil? Well, it is a very peculiar thing, when you consider uh, when you study philosophy, um, you notice that after some time, in Greek philosophy, in uh, medieval philosophy, in patristic, there is a very little when it comes to metaphysics, there is a very little treatment of the problem of evil, that is to say, evil is not so much treated as problem. Of course, it is present. You have it, for instance, in Plotinus in Neoplatonism, true Neoplatonism. You have Plotinus' Ennead essay, Ennead treatise, dedicated on evil to evil and to matter and so on and so forth. Moderns, as a rule, find uh, this treatment unsatisfying. And Hegel was, for instance, explicit about it because Hegel is a spokesman of of a age, uh, if we are to accept that modernity still exists, I'm not really so sure, but okay, uh, because he was talking about it uh, that profound question of evil was never satisfactorily answered. Now why think this? Is it because it was not satisfactorily answered or maybe, it was satisfactory ans- satisfactorily answered but we want something more and I think the second alternative is true. For Jacobeme Lucifer is a necessity but not necessity that uh, looked from the historical point of view. Once he fell, Now, it's necessary that this and this and this happen. No, 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 no. It is his necessity to fulfill not God's plan, not God's acts, not God's wishes, but God's essence. He is the part, negative part of that essence for Bema. And this is something that Hegel picks up also. Although... It's very peculiar thing in Hegel is that the word "teufel" uh, devil, I think never, never uh, to be encountered in his books, in his lectures and, and so on. It's very interesting. Only maybe in context of him quoting Goethe's Faustus. Whereas in in, in, in Hegel, uh, evil evil is a special kind of negativity that is essential for all. Uh, So, in both thinkers, uh, we are talking about birth of God. That assumes the ability to know the essence of God. Because to know the essence is to know the cause. To know the cause is to know the origin. This is a huge (laughs) no-no in medieval and antique predecessors of people like Hegel. This is a no-go, so let's call it that. Because this uh, assumes that you are, and rightly so, identifying with the object of your knowledge. Object in inverted commas, because nobody in medieval ages would call God object of anything. This means to know that what Nicholas of Cusa would say uh, should be inverted in a sense that there should be be equivalency between God and man. That God's essence can be known by man only insofar as there is a convertibility between God and man. Because like knows the like. This is the old principle of antiquity that these men uh, accepted but used it in a sense that nobody in antiquity, as far as I know, save maybe Gnostics, but you're never sure what Gnostics thought, because they're so confusing, nobody would, would, would use something like this. <coughs> and so, uh, to conclude uh, this first episode of our podcast, because they must be uh, more episodes we, we will cover. Maybe we'll try to scr- stretch this even to three episodes because I'll talk about things that go after Hegel and his influence and our own age. Because uh, this, how uh, the most relevant is for us is to see how we are now formed by the problems that were created 200 years ago. Uh, The essence is that knowledge can be absolute. That this absolute knowledge is convertible with God's knowledge. That human essence is convertible with God's essence. And that evil is the necessary constituent of good. Of absolute good. Without evil, there is no good. Without uh, darkness, there is no light. What I want to stress in this phase... Is that this is completely, absolutely counter-traditional. This is something that you will not find. You will find debate, you will find this summa contra gentiles, Toma uh, really addressing these problems, but not because he considers them relevant, but because there were heretics who came with something like this. So he tries to answer that. God's perfection cannot be compromised and so on and by the way I'll conclude with this with premier modern thinker thinker of 20th century Carl Gustav Jung who said at one place I don't remember where but I remember vividly when he wrote that uh, to say that holocaust uh, not uh, the holocaust was not used that, that the destructions of mass of concentration camps of second world war and gulags So probably he was, those were 50s when he wrote that, if he was still alive then, I don't know. Uh, Cannot be, to to account for them with with the term privatio boni, that means lack of good, this is the the medieval definition of evil, is an insult. And I remember thinking to myself, why? As if in 13th century, uh, I don't know, Albert the Great or Thomas Aquinas, Aquinas uh, didn't know evil. I mean, in an age where probably child mortality was <laughs> about 19%, 80% for nobility. They were noblemen, but uh, they were noblemen uh, that uh, devoted their life to extreme poverty. They were Dominicans, I mean, in, in those early Dominicans were very strict about this. That They didn't know what evil is. Uh, that mass murder, the sucking of cities, uh, the plagues—I mean, this is before the Great Black Flag plague, but pest, uh, pestilencia, yeah, any any kind of these epidemics—they tended to call it uh, what we now call plague. They, they didn't know this. Like hell, they didn't. They they knew better. They knew better because this mass evil of twentieth century. Uh, you can say that it's greater evil but it's greater in a sense that it is made possible by modernity both ideologically technologically and it's made possible because uh, also because you cannot wrap your minds around numbers Uh, people can think of this in terms of numbers not in really encountering what happened in in middle ages uh, the violence and death were at your doorstep and beyond it, and in inside your house, everywhere. If it happened, you knew it happened. In in 20th century, not so. You could be isolated from all this. What I want to say, and pass the moral judgments and so on and so forth. This is, uh, this is very peculiar thing. And this is something we'll talk about in the very end when we'll talk about the profound uh, effect. Of modern metaphysics, that is exemplified in Hegel and Jung, who is hardly a Hegelian, uh, is is very Hegelian here in his thinking because he's modern, he's a modernist, modern man. Uh, what was conscious for Middle Ages men is unconscious for him. He inverts things. Uh, there are only few and far in between great thinkers like Eric Wogelin, <laughs> like Krenigenon. <laughs> who were aware of this, uh, and uh, but we'll we'll uh, uh, will point out those contrasts, and we'll talk about it uh, in in our final final uh, final passages, final final words of this po- this series of podcasts. In the second podcast, we'll go about laying out the Hegel's uh, system of absolute knowledge or Hegel's speculation, as he calls it. Not strictly dialectic, speculatio for him, or mirroring, literary is a method of philosophy, of Sophia, is a method of absolute knowledge and creation of absolute system of knowledge. Uh, mirroring of finite and infinite. You can already guess that this has a lot to do with this identification, or better to say, um, putting men and God in this dialectical relationship of of, uh, mutual dependence and furthermore putting uh, evil in a dialectical uh, relation of dependence with good. So thank you for your attention. I will do my best to have the next episode ready uh, the following week.